Welcome to the 21st and very last, at least for a while, Global Guessing Weekly Podcast, the podcast on all things forecasting and geopolitics. Don't worry, we're not going anywhere, but after almost a year of Global Guessing, uh, in fact, as this podcast release, we're just one week away from that point, and in the spirit of a good forecaster, it is time for us to reflect on our past and make some improvements for the future. So in this very special episode, Andrew and I will go over why we started this project, recount the content we've produced, highlight our favorite moments, and discuss how our thoughts about quantified forecasting and the content we produce has evolved since our Burkina Faso presidential forecast on November 14th, 2020. At the end of this episode, we'll share with you our exciting plans for 2022 and beyond. So thank you so much for being with us over this past year. But let's get started. Andrew, it's kind of hard to believe it's been a year, huh? It is extremely hard to believe. You know, November 2020, the world looked a lot different from a geopolitical standpoint, from an economic standpoint. Uh, The world was in a very different place. And so it's just been interesting to sort of follow all of the progressions and developments over the last 12 months, uh, especially through the lens of forecasting, which, of course, has given us a very interesting perspective on, on both how the world has developed and where it's heading. Yeah, that was kind of one of the original reasons why we got into this idea of quantified forecasting and, and starting global guessing to have this sort of new lens. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm curious, like in your eyes, what was the original idea behind global guessing and starting this project? Yeah, I mean, we've talked about this a lot with various people that have come on our podcasts. Um, I think it was very serendipitous. Uh, you know, you've talked about you know, suggesting reading super forecasting to me. And I um, was always interested in going into the geopolitical risk space after college. Um, you know, the writing I was doing was very future focused. And so I, I think uh, there is sort of a really harmonious um, sort of like matching there um, of interests and, and of approaches. Um, and I think in general, global guessing was meant to just dive deeper into those interests and those focus and to do it in a very public way so that we could get feedback and get input um, to help us on our own sort of journey of exploring these ideas. Uh, and I think, you know, a year in, I think we can call it, you know, a pretty great success. Yeah, I, I think also the other thing, at least for me, with having these public forecasts was sort of a way to be held accountable, right? Like, sure, I could privately forecast on a website, but there, I don't necessarily then have to be public with all of our forecasts, but you know, doing it through global guessing, and I, I think this might be uh, one of your favorite pieces of content, which we'll get to later. But you know, we'll release forecasts that you know we end up being wrong about, and that sort of having those things be public, I think, made us, or at at least for me, the the idea was that because they're public, we really have to put in like a lot of good work behind our forecast. Like we can't be sloppy because, you know, here's this public record that we're, we're leaving for our forecasts. And I think in some ways, and I don't think this was like the original idea, but, you know, we viewed sort of perceptions of media trust, right? And they're at an all-time low in the U.S. And I think in some ways, you know, having this sort of public track record for forecasts to me has sort of become almost like a template or model that I think news should adopt um, to sort of regain trust. And I'm really glad that, you know, we've done it um, in that way. 
Yeah, agreed. Um, and I think there's also an element of, an element of accountability um, that we're holding ourselves to, um, you know, like not even to the public, but just when you actually go through the process of spending time writing something and updating it, like, you know, it's sort of hard to let things fall by the wayside or not pay attention because of the effort you're putting into things. So I think um, on our end as well, starting something like this and, uh, you know, making it public made it so that we had to sort of keep up with it and, and push ourselves in terms of creating content and thinking through forecasts. And I think that was a, a great exercise in, in discipline, um, a great exercise in, in self-education. Um, and I think those are skills that we'll be able to carry on both through global guessing in the future and also just in our lives outside of this as well. Yeah, I think it's also been, you know, doing something public in a space that like doesn't really have many people in it, right? Like this idea of quantified forecasting has at least been within some sense of like public common knowledge since Tetlock and Gardner's super forecasting came out. But there's not really a lot of people producing content about it. And so by like hopping in this space, you know, it, it really let us meet these really smart people um, in the area and talk to people who I don't think otherwise we would have been able to speak with. And I think we've learned a lot about that uh, and learned a lot from those people. Um, and we've really created a lot of content over this uh, last year, haven't we? It's been a lot. You know, I don't think we, when you're in it, you don't really see it. Um, but, you know, when we were preparing for this podcast and going over uh, all the different podcast episodes that we've done and the different written content that we've done and partnerships with other channels, you know, it, it has been a very full year. Um, and one thing that I've liked about, you know, just from sort of a macro perspective about our content is that it has been iterative. We haven't sort of started series and it's felt like we have to continue them for the sake of continuing them. We've really, I think, um, sort of looked at, you know, what is the value being created by certain pieces of content, um, both for you, the listeners, and also us um, on, on the content creation side. And I think we're smart about, uh, you know, which series to sunset, which ones to start and which ones um, to invest more into, because uh, it's been a really fun time. So we have this uh, tally that we created, and I, th I just think it'd be really great for our listeners and just for us to go through just chronologically the series that we've created and how much content for each of those we've done, because it it really did blow my mind, like, once we went through this. Like, just for the record, we've created across, you know, the brands associated with Global Guessing, 43 podcasts and I think 34 forecasts about important geopolitical events over the span of 51 weeks, just short of one year. Um, we started off doing, as I said at the start, uh, election forecasts, starting off with Burkina Faso. Um, then we did Niger, Ghana, and Portugal. Um, for me, I think the most interesting takeaway from doing that election series was, first of all, I think it was a pretty good way to get started in this idea of quantified forecasting. There's a lot of literature and sort of examples and models that we could have taken to, you know, make good forecasts about elections. You know, once we got into things like the Iran nuclear deal, you're really sort of going on your own. And, you know, I think we'll talk about that later. And, you know, there's books out there and different sort of mental models to learn from. But it's a lot more you're on your own. And I think so starting with elections was probably a very smart choice. And then also just, you know, we live in the United States or we are both American citizens. I'm, I'm now in the UK, but uh, we're used to elections 
being um, pretty contested and uh, likelihoods being pretty low. And yet, um, with the exception of Ghana, which was a very close election, and I think I had a lot of fun covering all of the the dramatic twists and turns in that one, these elections were, I think, what, we were like 95% likely, 99. It, uh, it's really, like, just different, and I, I, you know, I don't know. For me, that, like, really stood out. Yeah, I think also, I mean, something that we've explored a lot uh, through our podcast and talking to people is that something um, that can be missing sometimes in the forecasting space is the, is the so what. Like, once you've sort of said what the probability of an outcome is, um, you know, there's very little being done sort of after that, taking it a little bit further. And I think with elections, you're sort of forced to uh, think about what, what does this mean? You know, okay, a certain person's gonna win an election. Um, what does that mean for the country, for its people, for the country's economy? Um, and so I think starting off in an area that sort of forced us to go that next step with our forecast, I think was, was a good foundation to set because I think we really carried that through all of our forecasts. We never really stopped at a percentage. We, um, I think, always tried to take it a bit further and understand the meaning behind the forecast. And I think that's something that's really uh, benefited us. So then after elections, we moved over to good old Metaculous Mondays, which was a series that I think once we started Global Guessing was something that we had planned to do in large part because phenomenal alliteration, you know, incredible. Um, and I think our original name was going to be Metaculous Monday, but because we took so long to release the first piece of content, uh, Scott Alexander ended up releasing his own Metaculous Monday, so we had to pivot to Metaculous Mondays. Um, since then, he has shifted to Mantic Mondays, obviously because he realizes he can't compete with the Andrew Clay duo in terms of uh, branding and getting SEO out there, you know? I don't blame him. I don't blame him. Um, and I think across... I just was looking on our Metaculous account. Um, we did 18 volumes of Metaculous Mondays and forecasted on 30 questions. I mean, I think for me, Metaculous Mondays was very good to consistently have to forecast, right? Week after week, we either had to make a new forecast uh, or update a forecast or, as we usually did, both, Um and then also as just like a writing exercise, you know, uh, when I was in graduate school, I had to write um, essays every single week because my advisor um, still believed in hard work. Um, but, you know, Do you once not I believe left in hard work anymore, well, I'll just say that other advisors did not necessarily impose that uh, same requirement on their students. Um, but, you know, then once. Uh, I started my my job in the U.S. for when I, you know, paused my graduate studies. I didn't really have that sort of writing outlet. Um, and, you know, one of the reasons why I was also drawn to this idea of global guessing was sort of this release from our jobs, which were very demanding. And um, it was great to have this sort of collaborative project with my best friend. And so I really liked, you know, just having to do the writing as well and to make sure I still knew how to write and how to take these forecasts and somehow condense them in a way that was understandable to other people and, you know, sorting out, you know, these very sort of complex ways in which we reach these forecasts and having to distill them down, I think not only was good for writing, but also probably for a forecast as well, right? Knowing that we had to take this thought process and then communicate it to others, I think made us more, 
made our forecast probably more accountable because we had to actually account for every step of our forecast. And I, I think when like you read the comment sections of Metaculus or Good Judgment Open, um, people will give the rationale, but I, I don't think they've articulated it to the same degree that we did in large part because of Metaculus Mondays. Definitely. I mean, on the job front, totally agree. Um, I'm working mostly in Excel and with numbers. And so being able to write um, was definitely a nice sort of escape there. Um, and also, yeah, I think, you know, we discussed this a few times sort of offline, but when you're breaking down your forecast and explaining the different aspects of your forecast, it makes it easier to talk about with other people. You know, people can um, critique or give feedback on certain parts of your forecast, the base rate or how you understood a certain piece of information that you write about. Um, and it just helps for more productive discourse, I think. And um, I think at least, you know, I don't want to pat ourselves on the back too much, but I didn't see too much of this sort of hybrid forecasting, long form prose um, on many other platforms. And now, you know, of course, um, there's the Metaculous Journal and I think, you know, more newsletters are launching and I think people are um, sort of seeing the value of that combination of, of skills and approaches. Um, I'm All inspired really by the guessing, of that. course. We might have had something to do with it, but I'm I'm just glad that we took that approach because I think it really helped with our forecast. Yeah, and I, I also thought it made it good for like retrospectives, right? Because we clearly laid out our rationale. When we got something wrong, it was really easy to go back and say, oh, either one of our assumptions was wrong or we missed something. You know, I think the one I've always mm -hmm. gone back to was the spread of the alpha variant in the United States. You know, we just entirely missed out what if there were homegrown variants that would sort of compete for spread that didn't exist in in the UK or France and all the other places we looked for our base rate of spread. And so, um, you know, it, it's one thing to make a good forecast, but I think it was Balkan Devlin who said, like, a lot of it is also just learning from your past forecasts. Like, if you're just learning in the moment and not going back to reflect, I think you're probably leaving at least 30% or 40% of learning on the table. And I don't think we let ourselves get away with that. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think it goes back to holding ourselves accountable. Also, like you can't just have a really crappy forecast out on the internet and not at least address it or go back and try and explain it, you know? So I think uh, that was definitely good for us. So then after Metaculous Mondays, we've launched this very podcast, the Global Guessing Weekly Podcast. Um, which in large part was named because it is shorthand for GGWP, which if you've not put that together is for gamers. That means good game, well played. And I have... People are um, losing their minds right now. They're like, I've been listening for <laughs> a year finally and I no clue. Exactly. Um, I'm pretty sure when I proposed the name for the podcast, I think I worked backwards from the acronym to the name um, for As this you one. tend to do. <laughs> Um, and for this one, we've had 20, 21 episodes. I think our interview with Regina Joseph, we're sort of retroactively counting as a Global Guessing Weekly podcast because we never did a follow-up interview series. Um, and we just right. sort of kept going with Global Guessing Weekly podcast. And we've did so 20 to 21 um, different interviews across this series. Um, it's been pretty wild, huh? Yeah. Um, this is a fun one to think about because I remember you know, first reaching out to Regina, getting to know her sort of as the first, uh, the first person that we really met in the forecasting space. And she 
was incredible to us. She taught us a bunch. Um, you know, the fact that a year later we're still in communication and she shares our stuff on LinkedIn. And it's been a really, I think that speaks to the forecasting community in general, just the relationships that you make and the people you meet, they really do stick around. Um, because as you said, it is a very small community. So yeah, to go from that first, you know, transcribe an interview with Regina to having her come back on the show with Pavel and, um, you know, just to see where human forest has gone over that time and how we've been able to think about some of the aspects of human forest and our own sort of forecasting ideation. Like, it's just been a really great experience. Um, and it feels like, you know, we could have done a lot more and I think we will do a lot more um, like interviews that is and talking to people. And that's, it's been really, it's really exciting. For me. Yeah, I, I do think, you know, and we'll talk about this once we talk about like how our content has shifted. I think, you know, the Global Guessing Weekly podcast was really great to connect with this community and meet a lot of people um, and have these conversations about forecasting. Um, I think the weakness is that it was also sort of very unstructured in terms of what the podcast was about, um, which we sort of rectified with the second podcast that we decided to release. And I think we originally wanted this one to be a bi-weekly podcast, which would have made our uh, original content schedule very hectic. Uh, and this was the right side of maybe. Um, and I think I'll let you share sort of your thoughts on this, but I just want to say that, you know, this podcast was not just me and you, but also uh, our good friend, uh, Mikhail Dubrowski. Um, he is very involved in the forecasting community. He came up with the name for this podcast. Uh, he's been very instrumental in getting guests for The Right Side of Maybe and the Global Guesting Weekly podcast. And in many ways, my favorite part about The Right Side of Maybe was, um, you know, really getting to build a friendship with Mikal. I, I, I really do think of him as a friend. I think he's wonderful and does great things for the forecasting space. And so, um, yeah, I, I think that for me was probably my favorite part about The Right Side of Maybe. I definitely had a favorite episode, which we'll get to shortly. But, um, and obviously we learn interesting things about the space, but uh, for me it was sort of that like meta level uh, part about The Right Side of Maybe. Yeah, I mean, it was the first time that we had somebody from outside of the Global Guessing brand, us to sort of come in and affirm what we were doing and show interest in what we were doing and contribute to what we were doing, um, which I think is great. And I was working with Mikal, he's totally just heads down, like puts in so much work, you know, uh, is always thinking about this stuff, always hitting you up with random thoughts and messages. Like, I think that he is sort of like the exemplar of a lot of the people that we've been able to meet in this community who are just completely enveloped in this world. Um, I think that was great for us to see and us to be around and to rub off on us. Um, you know, and also, I mean, the guests that he was able to help us get and um, the people that we're talking to now, it's, it's been really, really fruitful. Um, yeah, Mikal's great. And I think the podcast and the concept has a ton of legs. And I think um, it's very focused. Yeah, it's focused. And, um, you know, I think when you're listening to an episode, you have some sense of, of what you're going to be hearing about or what sort of value you're going to get from it. Um, and I think that's always great both for us talking about, you know, the things that we talk about on the podcast and also for the listener. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed the right side of maybe. I think that was a, a great series to start. I'm excited to continue. 
And now we get to sort of the last two pieces of content that we've done on global guessing. And these are sort of global guessing adjacent, which is the This Week in Geopolitics podcast that we did live with our good friend Ross from AR Global Security, as well as Crowd Money, which you can find at crowdmoney.io, which is our real money prediction market newsletter and podcast. Um, I, I think we'll sort of keep our thoughts on, on these two brief, but we did 13 episodes live of This Week in Geopolitics. Um, and what I really liked about that is it really forced me to pay attention to what was going on in geopolitics, because if you're going to hop onto a live podcast where you can't like edit what you're going to say, you better know what you're uh, talking about. Otherwise, you're going to make a big old fool of yourself publicly, yeah. um, which I think in some ways in part led we to... Have still done it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 we definitely made some bad calls on that. I think when uh, the Afghanistan first thing, I was like, ah, they're going to hold the provincial capitals for a while, um, which yeah, was very wrong. Um, I think they held them for like six six minutes. Um, not exactly, but brief. just about um, brief period of time. Um, I think for me, Twig was really great just to, you know, get to know Ross, um, really sort of keep up to date about, you know, live geopolitics and sort of think about and i try to do this on on the podcast was how can we take the news of the geopolitics from this week and then use a forecasting mindset to think about where it goes next and what kind of questions we might ask about the news um because i i do think you know that's a really great place for forecasting but as we found out on the show it it's it's pretty difficult to do that and so i think having that practice um i think for me made it easier to think about how do I process news and then think about um, a forecast that we can then follow that news into the future? And then I think with crowd money, I mean, which we'll talk more about later, I, I've really liked because I think prediction markets are just a really real money prediction markets are just a really interesting application of this idea of forecasting. Uh, they're a really interesting news source, I find, you know, if you've if you go on Twitter, you know, people are now talking about, oh, it, it seems like Jerome Powell is going to be renominated to the Fed. But if you were looking at prediction markets or prediction polls, it's like, man, people could have told you that two, three, four months ago. Um, mm -hmm. The news is sort of just catching on. So here's this great news source. And, you know, also, if you're a good forecaster, it's a great opportunity to generate some good alpha. Um, so, yeah, what about you for Twig and Crowd Money? Yeah, I mean one thing that I've missed from college from, from undergrad is big sort of big forum conversations about geopolitics, like in class, talking with people about different things going on in the world. And I got that sense when we were doing live podcasts because people were asking questions and there was engagement. Um, and so I think I definitely want to, we definitely want to explore more live content in the future in some way, um, just because I think that was a really great way um, to have those those discussions uh, and so like instead of sort of just talking to people or talking with people um, and yeah as you said great to meet Ross and um, you know just make more connections in the UK scene obviously over there right now so maybe you'll be able to see him at some point um, but yeah no that was really great and obviously AI Global Security is doing really well and um, you know we might work with them you know again at some point in the future um, but yeah just a really positive experience and then Crowd money has been really fascinating, I think, because, I mean, prediction markets in themselves were sort of a tangential space to forecasting. 
that we sort of leaned into. And now that we're there, we're seeing so many other tangential uh, spaces, you know, be it crypto, NFTs, um, people in finance, you think about markets a lot, like there's so many, it's all really connected. Um, and that's something that's exciting and daunting, um, but just really fascinating, honestly, is like, I think part of our, our thesis going into this, right, was that everybody forecasts. Forecasting is something that is, you know, industry agnostic. It's something that everybody does. And that's why, you know, we wanted to apply it to geopolitics. And I think, it, you know, that thesis is being borne out in what we're seeing, um, because it seems like the act of forecasting is manifesting itself in different ways everywhere. Um, and that's really great. And I think, uh, you know, being able to bring sort of the the academic literature, the um, the interesting interviews that we've done over over our time to people that are just now finding forecasting is going to be um, extremely valuable. So um, yeah, I'm I mean, you, you made the yeah, you made such a great point about like humans have just like always forecasted. You know, just a throwback to where this global guessing journey has taken us. We we met someone who said, you know, even from like the beginning of the human species, right, like people would make a forecast in terms of where to go hunt, right? Like what direction are you going? What signals are you inputting from your environment? And then you're making a decision to spend your limited calories and resources to go hunting. And like throughout almost in like every sort of day-to-day -day action we forecasted. And, you know, I think prediction markets, while they've been around for a while, right? In trade, predict it, all of that. This seems to be like a new step in terms of where prediction markets are going, whether it's on the crypto side with poly market or reality cards or hedgehog markets or on the fiat side with with Kalshi, uh, the CFTC regulated prediction market. Um, it's just very new. And I think it's great to sort of be in this space now because we can kind of really learn and become experts in this field and have really novel things to say that, you know, builds upon a lot of what we've done at Global Guessing. I think if you're interested to see in how forecasting applies to these real money prediction markets, I think our upcoming uh, crowd money cast, uh, the podcast that we do, the first section of that should be very interesting for you. Um, and so I think that's been really great. Um, so yeah, I think now, Andrew, it's time for us to Go over Metaculous Mondays, The Right Side of Maybe, and the Global Guessing Weekly podcast, and we're each going to give our favorite piece of content that we've done. Uh, if it was a podcast and you were one of our guests and you were not selected, we probably still love the podcast, but we only had to pick one. We can't pick everyone. Everyone cannot be our favorite. We're not going to say parents, you know, who's your favorite kid? You all are. Uh, this, is, this is our podcast, so we're going to have to... Make some Make selections some here. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'll start off with, for me, Metaculous Mondays. My favorite forecast has to be the Iran nuclear deal. This was something, I think in February, that we gave this 20% likelihood the U.S. was going to rejoin the JCPOA by the end of the year. Uh, and, we, and we made that forecast in an environment where Metaculous and I believe Good Judgment and, uh, and I believe Good Judgment Open as well were fairly bullish that the U.S. was going to rejoin. The media environment was making it seem like this was a top Biden administration priority and so that they were really going to try to make it happen and sort of, if you were like read through the tea leaves, that this was something likely to happen. Um, and yet, 
we read this great book by Marco Popic um, that talked about this idea of looking at constraints of the, a situation to determine whether or not it's likely or not to happen. And by applying that framework, we realized, sure, it might be in, uh, people might want it to happen, but because of the constraints of the situation, it wasn't going to happen. Um, and just to see that forecast, you know, I, I, we shouldn't catch our counter eggs before they hatch or whatever the hell that saying is, you know, there, there's still two months to go. So anything's technically possible, but it looks like we're going to have definitely got to the right side of maybe on this question before quite a lot of people. Um, and so I really liked it because not only did this framework sort of work and I've been implying that framework when I look at a lot of geopolitical uh, situations in terms of what actions people are going to take. I've, I've now always sort of used this constraint uh, based model when trying to look at it rather than looking at preferences or or ideology or something like that. Uh, and then I also liked it because it's a forecast that we kept coming back to. And the last Metaculous Monday that we did, we sort of flipped the question on its head and basically said, you know, if this forecast was wrong, if our 20 or 25 percent after we updated it forecast ended up being on the wrong side of maybe, you know, what what, what would have that alternative forecast that got it right looked like? And I really like doing that sort of pre-mortem and really taking what I think is an important geopolitical question, right? What is the future of the JCPOA, Iran's nuclear ambitions and the U.S.? Um, the U.S.'s sway and being able to, you know, get the P5 plus one uh, to sort of deal with the situation with Iran, um, really sort of taking a really deep look into it. So for me, the Iran nuclear deal was my favorite. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I'll just speak also quickly about that Iran forecast. I think, um, you know, what interested me about that JCPOA forecast, especially in retrospect, is like, if you were working off of our premise that Iran would not rejoin the JCPOA this year, then that completely changes the way that you read Iran's geopolitical maneuvers over the last 12 months, the last 10 months. And I think it's just a completely different understanding of the whole region at that point. Like if you were to believe that they weren't gonna join the JCPOA then that says something about your, your forecast and about who was gonna win the presidency that summer, that says something about um, where you think Iran's uh, out, like allyships are going to shift over the next few years, why they wouldn't join the, JC, the JCPOA. Maybe they have better relationships with, say, Saudi Arabia. Um, you know, it just it complete, just the amount of information that you can get from one forecast and what you can extrapolate from that forecast is so fascinating. And I think especially, you know, going back to this idea of the media, you know, even still, can the nuclear deal be saved? Are articles coming out and, you know, U.S. policymakers are misreading Iran on foreign policy. It feels like everybody is so far behind in their understanding of the country, you know, not just JCPOA related, but as a whole. And I think, um, yeah, looking at that forecast, if we worked in, you know, civil service or if we worked somewhere where we could actually leverage that information, I think there could have been some really interesting decisions made based off of that. Um, you know, just so on that, like, media one. front, you know... It's interesting, like, and also when they talk about, like, will it be revived and can they still get a deal by the end of the year, they still don't look at the constraints. It's all about, you know, are they going to meet in Vienna again or, Does you know, Biden is Biden, Biden... exactly, but they're not looking, have the constraints 
that have been preventing them reaching a deal so far, have they changed? And that never comes in, or at least I haven't seen it generally uh, been, whether that's in like mainstream, like news like the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal, or even in places like foreign affairs or foreign policy, where you would hope that, you know, that's something that, that they're looking at. Yeah. Um, but yeah, going to my favorite Metaculous Monday forecast that we did, I have to say it was the Suez Canal crisis. I think one, it was just such a such a wild time as both of us are on Twitter pretty pretty often, you know, seeing the tweets going around about the Suez Canal crisis and keeping up with the very, uh, what ended up being very fast moving sort of incident was was really fun sort of day by day checking up, where's the ship, how are things going? Hour by hour. Um, yeah, that was fascinating. Um, and I think it was also fascinating because you know, we, we were hearing these stories about ships that were turning around and going around the Horn of Africa and doing all these, you know, wild detours. Um, so clearly this was a very high impact sort of event as well, which I think is always interesting to forecast. And there's a lot riding on them. Um, and then also because- Billions in trade, right? Yeah. You know, there are, so one, it had, right, the financial impact. It also has a lot of geopolitical impact as well. There's a lot of countries that care about um, the Suez Canal, but also there are people whose jobs you know, are to think about shipping and logistics. And you saw, you know, random individuals making really accurate forecasts on Twitter about what was going to happen with no shipping experience whatsoever. And I felt like that was very much in line with what Phil Tetlock preaches about how industry experts aren't necessarily better at, at understanding these issues than just people who are good forecasters. Um, you know, and we were looking at some pretty esoteric uh, sort of factors. We were looking at the tides and, you know, weather and climate and sand dredging and stuff. So I never thought I'd be, you know, looking at uh, open source data of, of ships. And, you know, they had, I think we found that one really good website about tides at different times. And it was wild, you know, so that was just like a fun one. Um, and then, of course, at the end, after we'd finished writing and actually stayed up a long time writing that piece, trying to get it out really quickly. It, it had been announced that the ship was already freed, which, you know, I think our hearts dropped for probably like 10 minutes. But, um, you know, as, as you said offline, I was proud of us for still uh, putting it out and talking through our thought process, um, even though we might not have been sort of as accurate as we would have liked, just because, again, I think we were demonstrating integrity and holding true to the idea of being accountable to ourselves and to our readers. So um, I think that was a very enjoyable forecast. Yeah, that that was a really fun one. I think I was I do remember that one. I was on vacation for that one. I decided to take time off work uh and go uh on a ski trip and it was like the night that I arrived and we had like stayed up really late getting down this forecast and I'm like this is great. I love this for on vacation, but I'm I'm feeling the Suez Canal forecast is a really big issue and then we finish our forecast, write the article, and then it's like, the ship's been freed! And it's like, oh no! Um, I think, you know, the issue we made on that one is sort of similar to what we did with the Alpha Variant spread, which is we were, like, looking at all of this news about, like, and they're going to start, like, bringing in helicopters to, like, lift the ship, to, like, lift the containers off the top. Yeah, and then if, And then if they make the boat light enough, they can do this. But we forgot that, you know, they're announcing all that because that's what's going to happen if, like, the current things that they're doing fail it's not because mm -hmm. that they failed yet um and so i think we sort of updated a little too strongly based on that news which was um you know just another really good lesson that that we learned and i'm equally glad that you know 
You know, we easily could have changed our forecast. Like, here's what we would have forecast. And look, it would have been so correct. Aren't we yeah. geniuses? But we didn't because otherwise I don't think we would have learned the same lessons because we wouldn't have had that forecast out there. Um, I think also, like, that idea of upright being Bayesian forecasters and updating your forecast a lot. For Updating your forecast looks very different when you're dealing with a matter of days versus a matter of weeks or a matter of months. And so understanding, you know, how often should you be updating? And maybe it's not even at the same clip as, you know, if, if, if it's a month long forecast and you're updating every week, right? Maybe four times, maybe you should only be updating two times if it's, you know, five, you know, maybe like the amount of actual meaningful information that can come out in that time period isn't as high as we think. Uh, I don't know, but it's just interesting to think about how certain practices change in different time periods. Um, something to think about moving forward. And then on the topic of the Suez Canal crisis, that takes us beautifully into our favorite episodes of The Right Side of Maybe, uh, because my favorite episode was the one with uh, Peter Wildeford, um, who is, uh, currently runs uh, Rethink Priorities, um, and we spoke to him about his Suez Canal forecast, because unlike us, uh, Peter was on the right side of Maybe, and not only was he on the right side of Maybe with his forecast, he, he took that forecast and made quite a lot of money on polymarket trading on it. I think he made triple, like 300% returns. Uh, he he did a lot of really interesting things. And what I liked talking about uh, Peter in that episode was not only understanding how he reached that forecast, which was interesting, but also how he ended up trading it. It wasn't just, you know, I think it's a 60% chance it's going to happen, so I'm going to buy shares 60% yes, but he was also sort of playing differences in the price. So um, if the no price was at, um, you know, a, a different number, but it, it, it still made sense from like an, an arbitrage perspective, he bought it. Or if he thought, you know, oh, the price is actually too high now because of momentum it's going to go down he was sort of not only betting on his forecast but also betting on what the market was going to do which is like this whole new dimension in prediction markets you're not necessarily just betting your forecast you're betting on how your forecast relates to the market as a whole where when you're on metaculus the best way to to you know climb up on the leaderboards is just to you know put your forecast in in terms of what your beliefs are and to update it. And you don't have that sort of second level game. And so I think for me, why I really liked it was because it sort of really made this idea of prediction markets uh, much more present in my mind, you know, something that we had talked about before, but we sort of kind of ignored as we got really engrossed into this idea of quantified forecasting. And that sort of episode of the right side of maybe for me, I think led the seed that led to crowd money. Fascinating. Yeah, no, that was a good one. Um, and again, another person from the forecasting community that we've stayed in touch with and still talk with. And, um, you know, there's a period and I think we're still planning on doing this, but, you know, if there's a, a forecasting question that comes up, we'll at Peter or at some of these people that we've talked to on, on podcasts. So yeah, He's a really smart guy, um, and it was a great interview. I think my favorite, it's tough, but I think my favorite was uh, the interview that we did with Juan, Juan Cambero. Um, and I think it was for a few reasons. One, we got to cover a bunch of forecasts, which is always fun. 
Um, you know, we focused on one where he was wrong, which I think is something that we tried to do with our own forecasting, as we talked about with uh, Metaculous Monday. So I think that was really interesting. And then also just the, the breadth of topics of the forecast that we covered. I think it was one on mortgage interest rates, one on U.S. COVID deaths, and one on the Tokyo Summer Olympics. Like those are three completely different issues. Um, but the fact that there was able to be this common thread of forecasting between all of them and that even, you know, not just forecasting, but certain approaches might have been similar between all three of these questions, like, um, or sets of questions, I think that was really interesting. And I think really highlighted, uh, again, going back to this idea that like forecasting is not specific to any one uh, area of focus or study, like everybody can benefit from having, you know, a better understanding of how to deal with uncertainty and think through the future. Um, so that was just really interesting. And also having one, still be a student and have this background. Um, I think also spoke to the fact that anybody can really forecast or get into forecasting as long as you're willing to put in some time and energy to get better at it. And they, it was nice that all three forecasts were, you know, high impact, relevant to, you know, the world forecasts as well. Um, I, I, I really like that episode and I think Juan is a phenomenal follow on Twitter as well. Um, just the way in which, like, you know, he still applies this forecasting, you know, mindset to understand public health and the pandemic, I think, was just really strong. Um, which takes us, finally, to this podcast and what our favorite episodes were, besides this one, obviously. Um, Andrew, what was your favorite Global Guessing weekly podcast? Yeah, I'd say my favorite, um, and again, it's close, but must have been our one with uh, Michael Hilliard from the Red Line podcast. Um, we both studied international relations, you know, in college. I think that's something I've been missing is like just those roundtable or lunchtime discussions with people about what's going on in the world. And that's what it felt like chatting with him. Like he's such a friendly guy, um, but he has such a deep, you know, well of knowledge about a lot of different issues in the geopolitical world. And so being able to hear from him and learn from him and also, you know, bounce questions off of him and, um, you know, understand his background. And uh, it was just, I think, a really interesting conversation. We ended up having him on this week in geopolitics as well. And he came on on super short notice, but he was happy to, you know, just come chat with you, Ross and myself. Um, you know, that was just really fun. And then I think also, you know, even before Global Guessing, just being a geopolitics fan, I listened to the Red Line podcast all the time, um, you know, and so to be able to then speak to the man behind the podcast, you know, the voice I've been hearing for so long and uh, actually get to engage and, and get his thoughts was, was a really cool experience. And I think, you know, that wouldn't have happened without everybody that listens to this podcast and reads our articles and supports Global Guessing. That was like just a really cool thing um, to meet somebody that, that, that you've looked up to. And you? I and I assume that part of that had to do with the fact that you stole Michael's uh, mic check. Isn't that right? His mic check is is brilliant. And if you haven't heard it, I'm not going to say it now. You have to go back and listen. Oh, I guess nobody would actually know. It, it wouldn't know exactly. no one listen to it. Okay. I guess you'll we'll have to have Michael on uh, your your podcast. It's, it, it's kind of just like a it's like an inside yeah. thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, exactly. Or or just come on our podcast and when i ask andrew is his microphone working he will do it and he'll do it twice because he usually forgets exactly how it goes the first time and then he gets it yeah. right or i just forget um, to do it all together but yeah 
Uh, well, speaking about having people on the show that you're big fans of, I think that takes me to my favorite Global Guessing Weekly podcast, which has, to be, <laughs> which has to be the Satapa uh, and Salyakov episode that we did on the BIN model of forecasting, because as I've said numerous times, writtenly and on this podcast, that is my favorite academic paper of this past year. Um, this bin model of forecasting, which relates to bias, information, and noise um, as just a way to understanding sort of sources of forecasting error, I just thought was just a really well-done paper and just a really great way to understand forecasts and understand you know, what goes wrong and how to improve them. And a lot of really interesting insights that come out from the paper uh, and just being able to sort of like dive into them on the podcast for me was just really interesting. Um, I, I, you know, again, being away from graduate school, I didn't really have that sort of same engagement with, you know, academic papers over the last year and, you know, finding this paper that I really like and then being able to not only dive deep into the paper, but dive deep into the paper with the people that wrote the paper um, was really interesting. And I think the BIN model of forecasting paper, if you're into forecasting um, or if you have a forecasting platform and want to find the best way to aggregate forecasts, I think it is required reading. Um, yeah, I, I, I just really like that, that, that episode for that reason. Um, I think... Uh... I think that episode happened, or at least we were reading the paper while I was in Miami, actually. Um, so I remember having to, you know, the fact that it was able to keep my attention and that I was able to get through, I think there were two papers, actually, get through two papers and, um, and be actually, like, interested in thinking through a lot of these things that we were reading about and how they applied to our past forecasts and how we we're going to use this to sort of think about how we can improve our forecasting process. I think that was a big thing at first was, like, what is the process here? Like every time we were doing one of these elections, it felt very ad hoc in terms of how we were approaching them. And so having some sort of framework to think about forecasting is super valuable. Um, and the fact that it was fascinating all the way down to Miami, I think even speaks to the quality of the writing and, and, and the quality of the ideas. So that was our year of global guessing, which just leaves us to what we thought about that year and what the next year of global guessing is like. Um, I don't know about you, Andrew, but I think like I've only become more bullish on this idea of having quantified forecasts, you know, f and using forecasting as a way to, you know, not only think about the future, but sort of process the present, you know, um, if you open up the New York times, it seems like every news story, fundamentally changes the economy or you know the u.s's approach to the middle east or something else but then if you think but you know very very rarely do we read that article and then think oh my god i have to update my forecast about x y and z um and i think especially just like in this world where there's just so much noise of news like it's just such a useful tool to have in terms of you know filtering filtering your noise so you can have uh, more accurate forecasts uh, and have less error when you're trying to think about the world. And um, I definitely want to keep forecasting. And I think it's just really strong. And, and, and you know, uh, I really think prediction markets are a great application. But 
you know, as the literature says, and I, I just think common sense will tell you, like, there's some things that just prediction markets probably aren't the best thing to do. Like, if you're trying to think about something that'll happen a year out, two years out, five years out, or is, like, very niche, it's going to be hard to make a market about that, either because you don't want to lock people's capital up for that long, or there's not enough people who know enough to feel confident put their money on the line. And so, you know, just having these quantified forecasts separate from prediction markets, I think is still just really important, something that I want to keep doing. Yeah, I mean, I think sort of going off of that, you think about like where do we really see forecasting in the mainstream? And it's probably like weather and polling for elections, mm -hmm. you know, and I think in those two areas, they do seem sort of, you know, very narrow, but in those two areas, there's a lot of people relying on those, like during election season, polling is a big deal. It's on TV, newspapers, people are talking about how certain candidates are polling and for the weather. I mean, obviously we care about weather forecasts all every day. Um, and I think that, you know, what we've seen is that where, when there is good, reliable data, like people do want to use it um, to think about future events. Now I think prediction markets and metaculous getting bigger. I think this idea that these markets can produce reliable information is, is being demonstrated. And I think we're also seeing a shift to relying on it as you know a source of a source of information. I think um, you know if it'd be interesting to look at like the number of backlinks to predict it. You know between like from during 2020 and then 2021 because I think mm. you'd see a, a pretty big uptick. Um, a lot more news articles I've seen are linking to prediction markets now as, you know, information inputs, whether it's for mayoral elections or just different things happening in the world. Um, so, yeah, no, I think we got in at a great time because we were able to meet a lot of really interesting people that might be a little bit busier these days um, and not able to talk as much. And I think, uh, you know, the world is showing us that forecasting is, is only going to get bigger uh, and get more support financially and, and, and from people, from users. So that, I think, takes us to where we're headed with global guessing. You know, I, I think we really accomplished what we set out to do. We made these public forecasts. We spoke with so many smart and interesting people. Um, if you were a guest on this podcast or the right side of maybe, thank you. Um, we really liked talking with you, getting to know you and learning from you. Um, and that's been phenomenal. But I think we've learned um, a few things about our content. So, you know, I think I'll first give my thoughts on like our three main staples and I'm curious to hear yours and then we'll talk about our plans for the future. So I think for me, I really liked, as I said, doing Metaculous Mondays. But for me, the issue with Metaculous Mondays is was always trying to find another question. Um, like the first eight good volumes, exactly. Like obviously on Metaculus, you can find another question. There are tons of questions and on Good Judgment Open, there's a lot of questions, but finding those high impact questions that relate to the news or relate to, you know, different countries, foreign policy and geopolitical posture, uh, got challenging after a while. And I think that made the series sort of more challenging to do. And so um, I think, you know, and spoiler alert, uh, we'll end up like leading to a shift in terms of the ways in which we frame the forecasts. Um, and then I think for the Global Guessing Weekly podcast, uh, it sort of just felt like 
in a limbo, you know, um, that it was a little too directionalist. I like that we sort of had these like wide range of guests on, but you know, what we were trying to get out of the guest was always different and there wasn't necessarily like a unifying theme. And I feel like as a piece of content, as a listener, you kind of want to have that, uh, which I feel like we sort of fell short on. Um, and then the right side of maybe I thought was phenomenal, but in terms of how we originally ideated the idea of the right side of maybe was find a particular forecaster who had one or two forecasts that they got to the right side of maybe on that they had quantified and stated elsewhere. And that leads to a very sort of narrow group because a lot of the times, you know, it's not just about one forecast. I think when we had Tom Lipte on talking about the forecasts that he got right, he kept, you know, making the point that it's still just not about the one forecast. It's about the suite of forecasts, the mindset. Um, and so I think that sort of had to have been expanded. Um, and then on like crowd money, which is not one of the three pieces of content, but that's where my, where my mind just went. I, I think we've done really well in terms of that. You know, that is, it's focused, but still broad enough. Um, there's clearly like a unifying theme across crowd money and the crowd money cast, but also enough sort of latitude to, you know, I think have fresh ideas into the next year and beyond there. Um, what about you on these? How would you sort of critique or just your, your thoughts on those four pieces of content? Yeah, I mean, I think for Metaculous Monday, um, one of my main takeaways is that I feel like the the updates were more valuable than the actual predictions themselves. I think um, you, know, you can make a ton of, you know, day one predictions and just leave them in you know, whatever happens, happens. But I think that process of us going back and updating and, um, you know, diving deeper into the thought process behind why we made the initial forecast and how those thoughts have changed, I think those are super valuable. Um, and I think, you know, with what we have planned, and we'll get into it in a little bit, I think that will sort of leverage the updating part of the forecast in a way that'll be really valuable and interesting um, to read and keep up with and to write for us. So I think, um, you know, taking our written content in that direction, I think people should be excited. Um, for the right side of maybe, you know, again, so like similar to what you said, it was really interesting talking to people about their forecasts. But as we've said, you know, today and in the past, forecasting is very much industry agnostic. Everybody does it. And so I think, uh, you know, it makes sense for us to sort of broaden the scope and the mandate of the podcast to really embody that idea that everybody forecasts. Um, and everybody can be on the right side of maybe in their own way. Um, and so I think, you know, the sorts of guests that we have lined up and that we want to have come on the show uh, going into 2022 are going to very much, I think, illustrate that, um, which I'm excited about, sort of taking forecasting outside of maybe the more esoteric sort of public health and, um, you know, metaculous zone and take it out into the broader world uh, is very exciting. And for DGWP, um, you know, I think you mentioned this earlier, really interesting listening and talking to people. Um, but I think as, you know, as you said, maybe lack some of the direction that would have made it um, a bit more solid. And so, um, you know, I'm excited to sort of hone our focus and to um, create some more, um, just like coherent podcast content uh, in 2022. 
um, but still talk to a lot of the same great people who will hopefully want to come back on the show at some point. So um, yeah, those were all really great learning experiences for us. And I think also like in general, brand building is iterative. You know, you don't just want to keep doing something for the sake of doing something. You want to keep updating, you know, we're basically taking a Bayesian approach to, you know, our own content, like keep updating, keep understanding what works, what doesn't work. Um, I think it's smart. And then for crowd money. Yeah. I think it's gone really well so far. Um, you know, the amount of feedback that we've gotten on crowd money and on our other content has been really great. Um, and I think there's a lot of really exciting uh, projects that we have with crowd money coming out over the next year. So that'll be, um, definitely a fun one to, to keep up with. Uh, I think prediction markets are, are blown up right now. So as we said at the start of this podcast, uh, spoiler alert, no, not spoiler alert, because we're at the spoiler now, um, we are planning to sunset the Global Guessing Weekly Podcast. This will be the last episode for now. Um, I can definitely see a future where, where we bring back this sort of weekly conversational podcast, but... Um, I think for two reasons, it has to be sunset for now. One is that sort of lack of direction. It's sort of the Global Guessing Weekly sort of sits between like a conversational podcast and like an interview. And so I think if we do bring it back, it should probably be a much more conversational podcast. Um, but I'm not entirely sure in that direction. And I think we should reflect before making any decisions. But then also just you know, given where we both currently are in life, you know, we want to make sure that every piece of content is value add and high quality. And I just don't think that we can necessarily reliably keep that up and do good stuff with crowd money and do what we want to do with the other pieces of global guessing content. And so for that reason, it makes sense to say avoir. I think that's a goodbye in French um, to, to the phenomenal acronym of GGWP for right now. Um, but that does not mean that we're done with podcasts. As Andrew just said, um, a lot of what we've done on this Global Guessing Weekly podcast will live on in the right side of maybe. Uh, uh, in part because of the name, which I think is phenomenal. Thank you, Mikal. Um, but also because of the focus. I think the right side of maybe as a forecasting podcast makes the most sense. Um, you know, I, you know, part of my criticism that, you know, focusing on one or two forecasts, that's a restriction that we are going to lift when it comes to the right side of maybe. Um, but also, as Andrew was saying, it, it, it's not just people that necessarily wrote out a quantified forecast, but people who used forecasting to achieve success in their domain. Uh, I think, Andrew, privately, you made the example of like poker players or, or, or chess players, for instance, right? They are forecasting... Um, as they are doing what they do and leads to their success, but they might not conceptualize it in necessarily the same way. But I think there's a lot that w forecasters can learn from them, and so we want to bring them on the show, um, but you know, still have that di directed focus of you know, it's about forecasting and but more so about the skills of a good forecaster, someone who's able to take in a lot of signals and determine signal versus noise uh, and then use that to create an output that makes them successful. A military general that, you know, had to take intel and make a decision out in the field of, you know what I mean? A CEO mm -hmm. that 
uh, you know, maybe pivoted his company towards digital pre-pandemic because he saw certain signs and it ended up paying off. Like, as you said, everybody is thinking through uncertainties, thinking about the future and understanding, you know, how to how to approach the future in different ways. And so I think we can definitely leverage that and have very interesting conversations with, as you said, forecasting is a common thread, but uh, sort of getting exposure to a, a wider array of people. And then that takes us to Metaculous Mondays, um, which will also be sunsetted. Not yet. We still want to put out one more Metaculous Mondays before 2022, where we sort of give a final update to all of our currently open forecasts. Um, obviously, those will end up changing over times, but I think it, it'll be important because it's been, ah, geez, four months since we've updated those forecasts, just to go back and sort of say what's changed and give like the final update uh, for the Global Guessing Weeklies. I mean, not for Global Guessing Weeklies, oh my God, uh, from Metaculous Mondays. Um, but that does not mean that we're done forecasting. Uh, you know, like I said, the JCPOA was like a very important forecast. And we wanted to do these high impact ones. And Andrew, as you were saying, it's in many ways the updates that are the most interesting part. And so as we enter 2022, you know, if you go to like the Eurasia group or probably Foreign Affairs does it, or a lot of different places. They talk about what the top geopolitical risks are for a year. Uh, and we want to take a quantified forecasting approach. So what are the top five geopolitical risks of 2022? Uh, and what are the forecasts associated with them? Uh, perhaps some questions related to them will already exist on Metaculus, but I think a lot of them will create ourselves and host on Metaculus um, and sort of how can we look at geopolitical risks and track them through the lens of quantified forecasts? Uh, that doesn't mean that, you know, the five that we pick uh, at the start of 2022 and roll out uh, in January will be the only forecast we do, you know, if right. an ever given, ever green, ever given crisis, the boat crisis, the Suez Canal crisis, much yeah. easier, um, or an Afghanistan withdrawal, you know, if, if there's like a major geopolitical event that happens, we'll then probably spin up a forecast about that as well. But I think we want to sort of test out this idea of using quantified forecasts to understand the geopolitical space over the span of a year. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, we don't have that list ready just yet. We're, uh, we're still looking at the last year and trying to, you know, process and understand. I think similar to forecasting, a lot of how we arrive at these, uh, at these five top geopolitical risks will be based on, you know, looking at the past and um, trying to understand what sort of reference classes we can use to think about risks and, and what's, uh, and how to prioritize them. Um, but I think that'll be really interesting one to keep up to date with uh, and really interesting to update. And maybe, um, you know, we'll open us up into some interesting new avenues that we don't even see coming yet, depending on what those risks are in terms of conversations we might have or places we might travel or who knows. Um, I'm excited to, to dig into that over the next uh, month, getting ready for 2022. Yep, I want to think about a name for the updates. You know, maybe the updates will still be Metaculous Mondays, so uh, it won't entirely be sunset. We'll, we'll, we'll yeah, see, yeah, because they will be hosted on Metaculus. We'll have to Less see, but... <laughs> but the the essence of it will will fundamentally shift and i do think for the better yeah. um and then it's sort of the last thing is sort of building out 
crowd money and having it sort of keep growing, but also having, I think, all of these pieces of content be very high impact. I think the right side of maybe when it comes back uh, January of 2022 probably won't be a weekly podcast like the Global Guessing Weekly. I think it'll be bi-weekly. Not only will that make it easier for us to record these interviews, but then also have transcripts for interviews. You know, uh, that's a, a very requested feature from us. But, you know, if it's a weekly podcast, uh, this is not our, our full-time job, so we don't necessarily have the, the resources to do that. Uh, but if we shift the right side of maybe to becoming a bi-weekly podcast or uh, I think I, I, I think weekly makes the most sense. You know, we, we'll, we'll have the, the resources to put up a transcript for, for, for the podcast. And so just making the right side of maybe very high value, these geopolitical forecasts, high value and and sort of updating as the news comes in and then having crowd money growing deeper. And then, you know, as we go, just sort of connecting the themes from global guessing into crowd money, uh, because I I do think there is a harmony between these two and sort of starting to build a bridge between the prediction market world and the quantified forecasting world will be, you know, one of our important tasks of 2022. I will also say, we talked a lot about forecasting and news. I think it'll be really interesting if we can have our top five geopolitical risk forecasts, like the updates public, and people can go to them when they see news articles on the front page of the Wall Street Journal and New York Times that are probably going to be covering one, at least one of these risks. And they'll be able to say, you know, well, the New York Times said X about China, but the global guessing, uh, you know, top five geopolitical risks, you know, is saying something different how should we understand or reconcile that? I think it'll be an interesting check on, on mainstream media. So I'm excited to see how our forecast, you know, relates to what, what the news is saying. Uh, it'll be an interesting thing to follow. Well, Andrew, it's been a year of global guessing. Well, 51 weeks of global guessing. 51 weeks. Uh, gotta be, gotta be exact. You know, I don't want anyone accuracy, correcting us. That's what we're doing here. <laughs> it's all about accuracy. Gotta get the yeah. prior score right on these numbers here. Um, what an incredible journey. Um, I am very grateful to be doing this content with you. Um, you yeah, know, I, I, I think we've talked about this. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta get all sentimental. I mean, come on. It's, uh, it's no, a global I, guessing, man. I agree. I know a little bit, a little bit. Um, I mean, yeah, like no, we started great. this because, you know, for our listeners out there, Andrew and I have been best friends since second grade, but, and we ended up going to university in the same city, but, you know, since then, work and work and life are, are very busy, and it's been um, truly amazing to get to, you know, spend all this time with you through a, a common purpose and task. It's been, um, it's been phenomenal. Yeah, I agree. And especially, you know, we started this November 2020. It's been a year. The pandemic was still raging on, you know, when we when when we started this. And, um, you know, there were definitely some some very lonely nights where I was very grateful to be able to hop on the phone and not only stay up till 2 a.m. working on global guessing, but also, you know, playing chess and just catching up and, um, you know, just being able to spend time with you on the phone. So, and then the fact that we got to see each other in New Mexico and uh, and you came to New York, I mean, it's it's been a really good time. Um, so yeah, I'm very appreciative for the last year to you and obviously to people that 
it's weird to think that people listen to this podcast and like keep up with it and um, you know care enough to send us feedback over email about things we could do differently like that that's a really good feeling to go from this being sort of a hobby to something that people actually are invested in so I'm excited to see it keep growing over the next year and keep working on it yeah it was crazy when I went to that to the Scott Alexander meetup in London uh, when I was talking about prediction markets and forecasting I brought up global guessing and someone's like wait I've heard of global guessing I'm like oh my god Someone, someone that's uh, watched the podcast and that's read a forecast. Family, and they add, it's like, yeah. No, it's, it's it's not like my mom or like my neighbor. Exactly. Who both of them. Person. Phenomenal job with the open rates. I mean, oh, your 100%. mom's such a good supporter. Retweets Incredible. and everything. Yeah. Um, but you know, people that have no connection to read the content, like it, and appreciate it. Um, it's been phenomenal and. You teased a meetup in New Mexico, which we never touched on, but that'll be a story for another day. We'll have to oh, keep yeah. People, uh, keep them on the, on, on the edge of their seats. Yeah, we'll get into on that On the uh, edge of their saddles, I think. It might be a better uh, <laughs> That's a <good> one. <laughs> analogy. It's a really good one. Exactly. Um, well, everyone, um, you will see one more piece of content from Global Guessing before 2022, which will be the final Metaculous Mondays as as we know it. And then come January 2022, Global Guessing is back with the right side of maybe and the top geopolitical risks of 2022 in an exciting new chapter. And I think I've heard there might be a new website redesign. We'll have to see. Rumor has Many it. people are saying it. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, well, everyone, thank you so much for listening to the global guessing weekly podcast for reading our forecast sharing our content uh and welcoming us into this phenomenal forecasting community it's been great and excited to see what year two and beyond brings so thank you so much for watching listening being a part of global guessing and we'll see you guys in 2022